Blessed are the humble in spirit For theirs is the kingdom of heaven And blessed are of our series hashtag blessed so if you're going to tweet about it you got to throw out the hashtag we're week two it's hashtag blessed i'm excited about this series it's challenging to see what the beatitudes are all about i have to warn you though this one gets a little personal for me we'll get into that soon enough but if we start out this morning will you just pray with me father god i thank you for again the opportunity to be here And as we take a moment to pause and look at your word, just a couple of simple verses, I pray that they will speak boldly into our lives. I pray that as we read your word, as we think about it, we will apply it to our lives, that we will leave here differently than how we've come, and that we will leave here reflecting you and and just being a bright light in this community for you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to get right into it. The next beatitude that we're going to talk about is blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. But let's look at the whole thing all together starting with Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read through verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds he went up on the mountain and after he sat down his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them saying blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I hope that as we go through this series, you'll read through not just the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, but through that whole Sermon on the Mount. It's more than just those verses. But I have a couple of things to say about the meek. It seems that people who know they're meek don't mind saying, I have my faults. I know who I am. But they don't want someone else to say it. For example, there's a story of this one man who in a smaller church he was nominated to be an elder it was a public nomination and they said i'd like i nominate brother so-and-so to be an elder of this church and the man humbly stood before the congregation and he declined he said brothers and sisters i love you but i am not worthy i'm undependable i lose my temper i am probably the worst man you could pick for this office and then he sat down with great humility but then another man stood up and he said 
I just want to add to what our dear brother has said. He says he's undependable and that he loses his temper and he is unworthy. I just want to say one thing. He has told you the truth. He is unworthy. He is the worst possible choice that you could make. And at this point, the first man jumped up and said, you, sir, are a liar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Blessed are the meek indeed. (laughs) But here's the thing. Meek doesn't mean that you're not worthy. Meek doesn't mean that that you are weak. It doesn't mean that you are perfect either. Actually, this is another beatitude that goes counter to what the worldview of things is. Our world says bigger is better. We talked about this last week. If we can get enough money, if we can enlist enough people, we can do anything. But when I think about Meek, I think about the time when Gideon fought the Midianites. You guys know about Gideon? Oh, man. It was a great story. See, Israel had been oppressed by the Midianites to the point that they were in hiding. The Midianites were taking everything from Israel. And there's this guy, Gideon, and, and he's actually inside a wine press and he's threshing wheat inside a wine press. I don't know if you've ever threshed wheat. I haven't, but I've read about it. And when you thresh wheat, it's something you want to do outside because, because you're kind of separating the, the kernels from the chaff. And, and to do that inside, it would make my allergies flare up. I don't know about you, but, but you want to do it outside so that the, the shaft can kind of float away in the breeze and you have what you need caught up in, your, in your, your sifting device. But Gideon, he's hiding for fear of the Midianites and he's hiding and he's in this wine press of all places. And he's, he's sifting a little bit of wheat and the Bible says that an angel of the Lord visited him and called him mighty warrior. And Gideon's reply was, do you know who you're talking to? He said, I'm, I'm the least of these. My tribe is the least of the tribes of Israel. And I'm like the runt of the litter. He's like, I am not mighty. I'm, I'm cowering in a wine press, making, trying to get some bread for my family. And this angel of the Lord calls him mighty warrior. And then this angel of the Lord says to him, you are going to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon's like, what? Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. So he... He sets out this fleece and he he lays it out and he asks God on on one occasion to make it wet while everything around it is dry. And on another occasion, just to make sure that God doesn't change his mind, he asks that it would be dry while everything around it is wet. And finally, he said, "Okay, Lord, you know what you're talking about. I'm going to do it. But here's the thing. Gideon's army, he started with with thirty two thousand. I'm sorry. No. He, yeah, he started with 32,000. And then God whittled that army down to 10,000. And then out of 10,000, God said, that's too many people. Gideon, if you take 10,000 men in and defeat the Midianites, some of these men might think that they actually did this and that I didn't. And he said, it's too many people. So he told them to all go down. I love this story. He said, go get a drink. I said, the ones that, that scoop up water with their hand and drink... He says, you're going to send them home. But the ones that lay down and just put their face in the water and just drink, he says, you're going to keep those guys. So 300 men end up staying with Gideon. And here's the thing. With 300 men, they come around the camp of the Midianites and they're armed like any brave army, essentially with clay pots and flashlights and horns. 
I like to think if this were to happen today, that it's, instead of having trumpets, that they would have like those old bicycle horns. You know, that's just how my mind works. <laughs> but that they had trumpets, and they had clay pots that were covering their torches, and it, and they, they they surrounded the Midian army, the Midianite army, and, and when they were given the signal. They smashed the clay pots, they blew the trumpets, they waved the torches, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and Gideon. None of them had a sword. They had a, a, a flash, they had a, a, a torch and a clay and a broken pot. And they blew the horn, they said, a, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And it was pure pandelirium. The Midianites wake up, they're running around, and the Bible says that God caused them to draw their swords on one another, and all the Midianites killed themselves, basically. God had to whittle down an army from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300 men to show them that big is not better. You see, Gideon and his men learned it, that it, what it was to really trust in God, that it was God who would bring that victory and not trusting in themselves. And so we have to understand the word meek is not about being weak and spineless. It's a strong word. Gideon was hiding, but God showed him what strength was. The meek are, are flexible to the word of God. The meek are those who are inflexible to things like false doctrine. They stand on the word of God. When Gideon was given a word, he stood on it to the very end, no matter what was asked of him. Moses was called the meekest of men, yet no one was any more stubborn in doing the will of God than Moses was. You see, a meek person is one who does not have a false sense of pride. Meek people don't mind admitting their mistakes. Moses said to God, are you sure I'm the one that you want to go speak on your behalf to Pharaoh? I have my flaws. I stutter. I'm scared. I ran away from them. I'm a murderer. I kill. He had all these excuses. And he admitted them. Are you sure? And God said, yeah. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Suppose that your company that you work for was going to write a description of the ideal person to be the new CEO, the new manager, the new leader of the project. Do you think that meekness would be on the list? What about our next presidential election? I've got a great slogan. All right. This is sure to win votes. Vote for me. I'm meek. Huh? No, maybe not. See, it's our nature. We don't want a meek person to be our leader. We want someone who's dynamic, someone who's powerful. So, so Jesus' third beatitude, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This comes as a little bit of a surprise. Because people are expecting Jesus to come in and be this mighty warrior, this, this huge leader that's going to upturn political things. He's going to be an earthly king. And here he is saying to these people, blessed are the meek. What? What's so great about being meek? And why do the meek inherit the earth? You see, part of our problem is due to a misunderstanding. We hear the word meek and we automatically think weak and, and sufferable. But the reality is that meekness requires strength i think one of the best ways to define meekness is is strength or power under control jesus could have done a lot of things throughout his earthly ministry and yet he he stayed with meekness power under control 
We get a sense of this from the way the word is translated and used in other places in the New Testament. The, the New American Standard Version of the Bible uh, and the New Living Version used the word gentle. As I read it earlier, you saw that word gentle. It didn't say meek, it said gentle. Blessed are the gentle. The validity of this translation is supported by other passages where the same Greek word appears. In 2 Timothy 2, 24-25, Paul identifies this as an essential quality of leadership when he says this, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, with, with meekness, correcting those who are in opposition. See, it doesn't, it doesn't say jump up and stand and yell at them and tell them they're wrong. It says in gentleness and meekness, connecting those or correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. You see, meekness requires strength. Meekness requires self-control. In fact, to be meek in the sense that Jesus describes here requires what I like to call Holy Spirit help. You see, with the help of the Holy Spirit, this quality of meekness can be produced by God in the believer's life. Meekness or gentleness is in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.23, but what are we really talking about when it comes to our behavior? If meekness isn't just another synonym for weakness, what is it then? The stereotype of meekness is a person who has no will of their own. We think of the meek person as someone who is pathologically passive, who can't help letting others just take advantage of them. But biblical meekness requires strength. I love Proverbs 16.32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit, excuse me, is, is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who captures a city. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Meekness isn't weakness. A meek person is stronger than a warrior who can capture a whole city. Because it takes more than strength. It takes more strength to control your temper than it does to storm a city. Meekness is not about being passive either. The meek person is intentional. The meek person is, is in control. So what does that look like in the real world? Specifically, what does meekness look like in the church? And Paul gives us a great snapshot in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 when he says this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Leave that up there, if you will. In blunt terms, meekness means that you and I put up with each other as Christians, as brothers and sisters. It means we will endure one another. I appreciate the Bible's honesty on this matter. Sometimes we give the impression that life in the church, that the Christian life is, is kind of this utopia. It's all rainbows and everybody's hugging and high-fiving and there's never any problems. And we get this idea that real Christians never get annoyed with each other, that if you're a real Christian, you're always going to get along. Unity will always just happen naturally. We never become frustrated with each other. We never get fed up with one another. We never disagree Sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do in the church is to put up with one another. It's a good thing, too, because some of y'all are hard to live with. I, I, didn't, I didn't write that. That was just in there. I don't know where that came from. 
<laughs> but I appreciate the emphasis here on mutuality in Paul's command. He says, bear with one another. You find someone around you annoying or hard to deal with, guess what? There's a high degree of likelihood that they struggle with the same issue regarding you. Paul's instruction would hardly be helpful, though, if it weren't for this clarifying phrase at the end. Hey, quit pointing each other out. He says, we are to bear with one another in love. We are to bear with one another in love. Life in the body of Christ calls for us to put up with each other. But not in a, in a grudging or mean-spirited way. It, 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 there's this forbearance that masquerades as contempt sometimes in churches. And that's not what he's asking of us here. There, there are some who display patience towards others in a way that actually communicates impatience. That's not what Paul's talking about. And it's, it's not the meekness that Jesus speaks about in the third beatitude. It's an, this meekness is an attribute of strength. And Paul says we need to show tolerance for one another in love. To exercise it, we must go against the grain. But meekness doesn't merely take strength. If I'm going to bear with others in love, I will need to have their best interest at heart. If you're going to bear with me in love, you need to have my best interest in heart. You see, verse 5, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I'm going to jump right into this one on righteousness. Are you ready? Here it comes. I'm glad you said that. The reality about righteousness in our world today is not too many people hunger and thirst after righteousness. Oh, we're hungry and we're thirsty, but it's not after righteousness. Not too many Christians hunger and thirst after righteousness. I think the people, the reason that, that so many people miss various worship services that are offered is because they're not hungry. They're not thirsty. I want you to know that I say this with all the love in my heart. Somebody said to me, y'all don't offer enough. Listen, we offer Sunday school at 930, morning worship at 11. Most Sunday evenings we have our Sunday evening youth group, our men's and women's Bible study. We have a Wednesday morning Bible study for all. We have CPR groups that meet on multiple evenings throughout the week. But the sad reality is that some of you just aren't that hungry. And you're not that thirsty. The problem is, too, when we don't eat and we don't drink, what happens? Eventually you die. Not exactly. Physically, when you stop eating and drinking, your body will consume itself from the inside out, which is kind of a gross, physical, scientific, weird thing. But, but as you don't eat, as you don't drink, you begin to lose your appetite, physically speaking. You become sick. Sometimes a person won't eat physically, thinking that they're overweight, and then they become anorexic, and, and they, they lose all this weight, and they still think they're fat, and they won't eat. Some Christians are the same way. They never read the Word of God and they think they're well-fed. They think they're mature Christians because they're in church every Sunday morning and they're, they're in their spot. They might even think they're fat, spiritually speaking. When in reality, they're anorexic and emaciated. One step away from spiritual starvation, maybe even death. Brothers and sisters, we all need to feed on the Word of God. But don't mistake a quick reading of the Bible through the year 
to be enough real food. I've had people say, well, I read the Bible through the year, every year. Listen, sometimes, and I'm not knocking that. I think that's a great system. But sometimes reading the Bible through each year is, is like taking a sightseeing tour. If you decide to drive from the East Coast to the West Coast and somebody says, hey, did you go to St. Louis? Yep, passed by it on the Circle Freeway. You can visit every city in America that way and never know a whole lot about it unless you stop and spend some time there. And reading the Bible is a lot like that sightseeing tour. Yep, I passed by Abraham on the way through. I whizzed by some of the kings of Israel when I looked at the book of Chronicles. I think I remember passing by Hosea and Joel somewhere along the way. See, we don't learn a lot about Scripture and about the Bible by just whizzing through it. We need to stop off and take some time and visit with Abraham and Sarah. We need to spend some time with Jonah. We need to spend some time with David, with Noah. And only by spending extra time with these various points of interest can we say we have really fed on the bread of life. And too many people say, I did my devotion this morning. Check. Moving on. See, you don't need to wolf down your food. Like a dog. We, we feed our dog every evening at 4 o'clock. Let me tell you something. At 4.03, he lets you know if you haven't filled up his bowl. But even when you fill up his bowl, and those of you who have pets will, will, can, can attest to this, you put it down and it's gone. Just gone. I don't think dogs have taste buds because they'll eat just about anything. You know it's true. Your dogs have brought stuff to your porch and you're like, why would you put that in your mouth? They think it's a gift. It's like a half a squirrel or something. They just wolf it down. We don't need to be like that. You need to sit down and enjoy the food. Enjoy the bread of life that has been given to us. It's not just a duty to be checked off. If you really hunger and thirst after righteousness, consume the bread of life. Don't just glance at it. I had a professor in Bible college one time. He said this. He said, it's not how many times you go through the Bible, but it's how much of the Bible goes through you. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. If you're not satisfied in life, I want to challenge that you're hunger and thirsting after the wrong things. As we come to our response time this morning, I want to be real transparent with you guys. Every Sunday, I ask you all to respond to God's Word. In that vein, I'm going to respond to God's Word. I'm already up here, so I don't get to walk forward. I need to confess something to you all. By nature, I'm not a meek person. The life I lived before I became a Christian did not allow for me to be meek or gentle on pretty much any level. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of, of physical things. There were a lot of resentment growing up towards other people. And as a result of how I grew up, not only was I not gentle, but I did not hunger and thirst for righteousness. Even now, I find that I don't always hunger and thirst for righteousness like I should. Something that I've learned is on the days where I don't start out hunger and thirsting for righteousness, those are the days when I am the least gentle that's putting it mildly. I get downright angry sometimes when I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. The reason is this. 
When I don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, I can't be satisfied. My day starts off defeated when I don't go to feast on the bread of life first. I try to find satisfaction in everything but God's word and God's peace in my life. Do you see how these things go together? Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you're finding that you can't be satisfied by what this world has to offer, or maybe your past is catching up to you, maybe it's even peeking out a little bit, I would dare say that you are hungering and thirsting after the wrong things. Because you will not be gentle. You will not be meek as long as you are feasting on what the world offers you. And I don't know about you, but my response this morning is that I am going to do my everyday best to be gentle. When my worldly hunger starts up, I'm going to feast on God's word first. But I need your help. I tell people all the time, hey, if you want prayer, come forward. The elders will pray for you. I want prayer. If you are hearing the words coming out of my mouth, I am asking you to pray for me. Not just today. This is not, this is not a, a gimmicky thing, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to get everybody to, oh, we're all going to come forward. And we're all going to pray. That's not what I'm doing. I don't care if y'all don't even stand up when we sing our response song. I want you to pray for me so that I can do this. So that I will hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that I will have a desire to eat the bread of life. So that I can lead well. So I can lead better. So that I can do my part intentionally in shepherding and discipling and mentoring and being what I'm supposed to be in this building and in this community and in this world. I'm going to do everything I can to hunger and thirst for righteousness so that I can be gentle. Because I believe that, that only then can I truly live out the vision to go to win and commit to grow. And I don't know where you guys are in all this, but I know some of you struggle with the same things that I struggle with when it comes to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when it comes uh, to, to being gentle. And so as we come to our response time this morning, I ask that you would consider these things as we stand, as we sing our response song and respond to God's word accordingly. But no matter what you do, I just ask that you'll be praying for me in the future because these are the things I want to be so that I can be a better reflection of our God. Will you sing our response song, please? It's been great to be here with you all this morning. I say that every week, and I mean it. It's been great to share with you from God's Word about being meek and hungry. The, the problem with God's Word is when you, when you really get into it, and you really ingest it, there's danger because it changes you. Even those of us who are holy and spiritual... Reflects who we should be and who we are. So thank you for letting me share with you about being meek and hungry. But now it's time to go. And as you go this morning, I pray that you would go and seek out ways that you can also reflect meekness and gentleness. That we would all be quick to listen and slow to speak this week and, and slow to anger. And when you find yourself hungry, don't reach for a Snickers. That won't satisfy you. Reach for the bread of life. Reach for God's word. Read it. Hunger and thirst for righteousness first, and you will indeed be filled. And you will find that 
that you've come to that place where your cup is running over and then you can go to win others for Christ by pouring into them. So as you go to win, as you hunger and thirst for God's word, you'll find that it's easier to commit to grow in him, especially when we do it together. Will you sing this last song with us?